Well, thank you, Sarah. <coughs> I am uh, always glad to know that um, you can make your best friends at a newcomer's event. You know, that's helpful and important. <laughs> uh, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. This morning's sermon is brought to you by um, the number two for two pink eyes and the letter C for coughing. So uh, how excited are you for this morning? Um, my hope, I have some hot tea here. My hope is I can make it through this whole thing without making you go miserable from hearing me cough. So I may just go real soft a little bit. So if you start nodding, I may get loud, you know, but just that's how it's going to work. So happy new year to each of you. Glad to be here. Um, my question for you to begin this morning, begin 2020 is how different are you today than you were today in 2019? Like how different are you? What's changed? Like for some of you, maybe your bank account is a little bit more or maybe a little bit less than it was in, in 2019. For some of us, we finally had a child or we, we had more children or we finally got rid of our children or whatever. Uh, some of us got new jobs. Some of us finally got a job. Some of us ended their work career. And 2020 is going to be the first year without a full year career. Some of us um, gained some friends some of us may have lost someone significant or a close friend or a family member. So, so what's different about you now than it was then? Some of us, I'm certain of it, have, have put, put on a few pounds since 2019 January, and some of us lost some, and then some of us just went back and forth. You know who you are. Um, but today, 2020, what's different about you than it was true about you on this day, 2019? And I don't mean just all those superfluous things. I mean, like, how are you different? Like, how is... How is the character inside of who you are, how is the foundation of who you've been made to be different than it was a year ago today? Because that's fundamentally the question that is at stake for each of us as we think about the idea of discipleship, or particularly about the idea of change. My hope would be that some of us would say that we're, um, that we're maybe a little bit more and maybe a little bit less this year than we were last year, maybe a little Little, maybe a little bit more free and a little less addicted or a little less neurotic. Or maybe we're a little more humble, a little less boastful. Maybe we're, maybe we're just a little bit more honest now than we were a year ago. And less like, committed to having to please everybody because, well, if you please everybody, then everything is okay. Maybe we're just a little, a little more joyful and a little less cynical today than we were a year ago. Because that would be a real change, wouldn't it? We have more love, more freedom, more hope today than we had a year ago. Because that would be real change, wouldn't it? So how, how are you different today than you were a year ago? Think about it. This isn't just a sermon question. How are you different? What has God done? What has he done with you and to you and in you? I think that's a really important question, especially as we come around, not just to a new year, but a new decade. I think that's a really important question, but I think maybe an equally important question is the question surrounding how did you become different? Because if it's true that you are more, more wise, more, more free, more, more alive, maybe more joyful, or less cynical, if that's true, how did it happen? What are the key elements that brought that about, and, and how do you know that it can continue or become more so? I, that's a really important question. It's important to know that you are different, but it's pivotal to know how do we get there how do we become different people? So how do we change? And that's how we're going to begin 2020. That was kind of a little standalone sermon this morning. 
I take some look this morning at how we change, about how we become the kind of people that we're willing to be changed by God, to be transformed. That's precisely what we're about at RCC, right? If you've been around, if you're brand new, we're about seeing God glorified as we pursue the transformation that the gospel does in us in Jesus Christ. That's what we want to see happen in each one of us. So that's kind of like at the essence of who we are. And so, of course, that would be the measure. That would be the mark of what it means to be alive and engaged here. And so my simple answer, what does it look like to change? What does it look like for transformation to happen? Is pretty simple. I'm just going to say it's, it's, it's hearing and responding. Discipleship is hearing and responding. Transformation is hearing and responding. All right, participation. Discipleship is what? One more time. Transformation is hearing and responding. Okay, so if you leave today, you know that the one thing that's going to bring you to be a different person on January 2021 is if you've been someone who has heard the Lord and responded to him. That's good news, right? It's pretty simple. Ready? 2020, here we come. How does this work? Let me, let me take you on a little bit of an excursus here. First uh, Corinthians, let me show you a little bit of how this plays out. First Corinthians is one of those books, I think it's maybe one of the more relevant books to the current Christian culture that we're in right now as Christians in America, 21st century. First Corinthians is a book that Paul wrote to this church, and they are an exciting church, and they are a hot mess. They are... Um, the kind of place where great things are happening, incredible experiences are unfolding for people that are part of that church. And simultaneously, they are one of the most immature churches in the entire New Testament. They have very little depth. They have, it seems, a whole bunch of knowledge, but very little depth of character of, well, of real change. And here's what we hear the Apostle Paul say to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14. He says, and this is after he's talked to them and said, hey, listen, here's who we are as apostles. Here's how we're relating to you. And then he says, okay, listen. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you, to warn you, to encourage you as my beloved children. So tenderness. For though you have countless guides, he says, literally 10,000 teachers in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. This is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. This is interesting because... Um, as I said, Corinth is this happening church. It's, it's literally anything could happen on a Sunday morning in Corinth. It's kind of exciting. If you want to be a part of things where the power of God is showing up and manifesting, Corinth was the place to be. It's a happening place. And Paul says, I write to you things not, not to shame you, but, but to encourage you, to warn you. Because you have, he says, countless teachers that means that the best teachers were coming through Corinth. I mean, the most, the most gifted, you see at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, like, I'm with Paul, I'm with Apollos, I'm with Peter. There's like all these gifted and skilled teachers. He usually uses the word myriads of gifted teachers are coming through. And yet, if the mark, if the mark of transformation was born out of the quality of the teachers, well, then Corinth should have been the most mature church in the New Testament, and it is not. It's one of the most immature, if not the most immature church in the New Testament. 
Paul writes them, the reason you're mature is because you've got 10,000 teachers, you've got 10,000 guides, literally the, the Greek word there is pedagogos, so you've got, you've got all these, you know, teachers that are, that are giving you information and pivotal, true information, but you don't have many fathers, he says. Now, if you, um, if you know the Greek household, they hired pedagogues, truly teachers, who would come and they would teach the kids kind of the reading, writing, arithmetic side of things. So they would teach them that. And then at 12 years old, what would happen is that the boys would be handed over, in a sense, or, or sent to be with their father, and they would stand shoulder to shoulder with the father. And the girls would be sent to, to be with their mom, and they would stand shoulder to shoulder with their moms, and they would walk with them and walk beside them and, and see how they did life. They'd be next to them while they did business or while they interacted with community or how they did life or how they handled their money, how they handled family relations. And they stood by their side shoulder to shoulder and they, they witnessed it. They would see not just the avenues of information, but the true way in which their family parent did life. And Paul's saying that even though you've got 10,000 fathers that are going to give you really, are giving you Paulus, Peter, they're giving you really solid, true information, you don't have anyone to come alongside and to imitate. That's why he says, I'm sending you Timothy. Imitate him, he says. Imitate him. And, and the connotation, of course, is, of course, not what he just said is, imitate him, like, because he's imitating me, and I'm imitating Christ, First Corinthians 11. So I'm following Jesus, and, and I'm imitating him, and so now, Timothy, I'm sending him to you so that you would look at him and come alongside the shoulder of him and look over the way in which, not just how he's seeing and teaching the works of Jesus or the words of Jesus, but the actual, the way of Jesus. Like, learn the way of Jesus by standing beside Timothy, because he's been standing beside me. You see, I want to make you different people. I want to transform you into something different. I believe in the power of preaching. Obviously, I'm standing up here right now. But I do believe also that there are limitations to that when it comes to the fundamental and broad scope of what discipleship can look like and mean. That we need to have someone and people we can stand alongside and be imitators of to imitate Christ, which begs the million-dollar question, are you someone whose life is worthy of imitation? That's a really sobering question. Is your life one that is worthy of imitation? Because whether you're a parent or whether you're a leader or, or whether you're a disciple who is, God calls us to make disciples, right? So everyone's a disciple maker. If that's the case, as you belong to Jesus, then the question is, is your life worthy of imitation? As we stand here in 2020, is your life worthy of imitation? Not, not in every possible way, of course not. But should people be standing at your shoulder looking over and saying, I'm learning the way of Jesus with you and, and from you? Some of us, this means maybe that we want more life to be able to be mirrored and demonstrated and imitated a year from now than we do today. And we want more substance, more significance. That we want to be less busy about building our own life or trying to please the people that have expectations about our lives, but to truly be people that are imitators of Jesus first and foremost and changed by that. Do you have a life worth imitating? I would say that if you want to have a life worth imitating, you must be a disciple. 
a true disciple. As we said, a disciple is someone who hears and responds, right? Disciples who hears and responds. So, so the good news I have for you is if you're sitting there going like, honestly, I can look at my life and I can see about three ways in which I wouldn't mind someone looking over my shoulder, but I can see about 27 in which I would rather those people just leave me alone. And I've got good news for you. Like God wants to make you a different person this coming year. And he's excited about it. And my hope, and I'm excited about it, and I hope you're excited about it too. He's got good things in store for you if you're willing to be one of his disciples and be an imitator of him, that we may be imitators of him together. And so what does this look like? Well, there's a variety of ways of approaching the question of what is discipleship. And again, I said hearing and obeying is the simple way, hearing and responding. The simplest way to think about it, especially as we think about being formed into the kind of people God wants us to be as we move forward, choosing to be formed in the image of Christ, is to articulate really two concepts. And one is that there is a, there's a clear atmosphere of, um, for discipleship and discipleship, and then there's a, a simple process for discipleship. I'm going to spend the rest of our time just talking briefly through both of those. There's a clear atmosphere for discipleship. I, I, um, there's a, a group called uh, 3DM and a guy named Paul, uh, Doug, uh, Doug Paul who put some graphics and stuff together that I totally ripped off. So um, this is what you have on your sheet. Don't get used to having notes. I don't do that ever. Um, but today, it's the first day of the year. New habits die quickly. Um, but um, the atmosphere of discipleship we see here is, uh, you know, Paul, <laughs> Paul walks the Corinthians through a whole bunch of responding to a bunch of their questions, and then he gets to the famous chapter on love, right? The one that's read at every wedding. Love is patient. Love is kind. The one that you're like, we'll never live up to this. Um, and he ends, the, he ends chapter 13, verse 13, with the words. Um, they're here somewhere. You know, I'm just going to look up here. So now... <laughs> It's amazing what some good meds will do for you as you preach. Um, so now faith, hope, and love abide. Let me say that again. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. My, 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 what I'd like to suggest is that the, the atmosphere for discipleship is one of faith, hope, and, and love. And, and it really begins with love. So you're going to notice we're actually going backwards here. And, and love, in the little blank there for you blank filler-outers, is that God meets us in what is. Love, God meets us in what is. He meets us with love in what is already. Not in what could be, not in what should be, not in what your spouse thinks you should be, not when your friends or your parents wish you had become. No, no, no. God meets us with love where we are. Friends, loved ones, that's the gospel. It's what you woke up. That's the umbrella under which you woke up this morning. It's the best news in the world. I don't know what kind of 2020 you've had so far, but like this is what can carry you this entire year, that you woke up under a banner of love from a God who sees you exactly where you are and will work with you from where you are, not from where you think you should be, because it's the only place from which you can truly move. He meets us first with love, with what is and, of course, you realize if you're ever going to disciple anybody else, if you're going to train your kids up, you have to meet them there, right? You meet people. We disciple people. We disciple one another from where we really are. And then we move from there. Remind one another that there's nothing that we can do to make lo God love us any more, and there's nothing we can do to make God love us any less because of Jesus and so the foundation of discipleship, the basis of discipleship, the basis of change is love. It's the beginning and the end. But as God meets us with love, 
and with a what is, he begins to stir our imagination for what could be. And hope is what could be. And oftentimes, when you're standing in what is, and some of you are standing in like, like a puddle of what is, and, and, and you're trying to imagine what could be, it could feel more like frustration than anything else. You're seeing just the gap. That's all you see from what is to what maybe could be. And I just want to say, maybe encourage you that frustration is, is, is just hope in disguise. It's the beginning of hope. It's saying, I actually am not content with saying right here where things are, and hope is the beginning of something new, of what could be. Because frustration looks at what is and says, maybe this could be different. And so hope, with this first glimmer, that there is a movement to be had, that what could be, and then as hope begins to emerge, as, as God starts stirring our imagination for what could be different about us, God begins to speak. As God begins to speak, hope turns to faith. As Romans says, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing, so we hear from him, and hearing through the word of Christ. So if hope is about what could be, then faith is about what will be. Faith is about grabbing hold of what is being said and believing it will be because of who said it. So there's this progression of love and hope and faith that, that moves us from what is to what could be to what will be. And it's prompted by two fundamental questions. And these are the two questions of discipleship. So if the two, if the two fundamental realities of discipleship are hearing and responding, the two questions that go with those two are this. What is God saying? What is God saying? And secondly, what am I going to do about it? What is God saying and what am I going to do about it? These are the two primary questions of discipleship. Honestly, I think it's, put, it's a potential. This may be an overstatement. It's not in my notes. You should never do this. It's possible that in most of your friendship, your spiritual friendships, where you're trying to help one another become more like Jesus, that these could be the two questions that you just ask yourselves over and over. Hey, so what are you hearing God say? What, what, what does he want you to do with that? So what is God saying and what am I going to do about it? It reminds us that, that this is pivotal, that one of the most significant hinge moments in discipleship, in your own discipleship, and your own becoming more like Jesus, is the first time that you heard for, from God for yourself. Now, for some of you, it's been a minute. Well, that moment's been a minute. And for some of you, it's been a minute since you feel like you've heard from God. But one of the most pivotal moments of your discipleship life is when you hear for the first time from God for yourself. You hear the voice of the Lord speaking to you. I think that's why one of the most empowering things that we can do to, for one another is to help each other hear the voice of the Lord. The hinge question, it ends with faith, right? The hinge question for, for this key moment when we hear from God is, can I trust him? Can I trust what he's saying? Can I trust that he is who he says he's going, that he is who he says he is, that, that I am who I, he says I am, that he's good, that he has my best for my life, and then will I follow him to do what he's given me to do? So discipleship is hearing from God and 
acting and making discipleship is making disciples is helping people hear from God and then helping them act on what they've heard. So I give you this little tool, this little diagram here. And um, it, one of the, the, the fundamental principles, uh, some of you are maybe are familiar with Kairos moments. It's kind of a thing that was talked about quite a bit about 20 years ago. Um, but um, Ma- in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, uh, Jesus, which we saw a year ago now, Jesus kind of begins his ministry. Like he announces the beginning of his ministry in the world by these words. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, you just talk about a mic drop moment for Jesus. I mean, like, the time is now, and the kingdom of God is at hand. And there, there's two words for this idea of time. There's two words in Greek for time, right? There's, uh, there's chronos, and then there's kairos. Chronos is, you know, tick-tock, tick-tock, right? One o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock. That's, that's chronos, chronology, et cetera. And then there's kairos, and kairos is, is very different than chronos. Kairos is God's appointed time, God's anointed time. It's God breaking into the midst of time on our behalf. That's kairos. Kairos moment, God breaking into time on our behalf, in our midst, for our sake. And so with this little tool is designed to help you think and it's really to kind of put it in your brain and then to articulate it with your friends and community is to help you think about what are these kairos moments in my life? What, what are these God breaking in kind of moments where the time is fulfilled. It's this moment now. This anointed time is at hand. The kingdom of God is, is here. It's breaking in. And we see that we grab hold of this particular kingdom at hand, this, this kairos moment, by two things. By repent and belief. Repent and belief. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, Jesus says. So we grab hold of the kingdom of, of, that is at hand, this close kingdom that Jesus is breaking in for us and is now present by, by repentance, by changing our mind, by, by turning, not just like feeling bad about ourselves, but truly turning, genuinely changing. And then we believe, not just some intellectual belief or some assent, but stepping out with what we've heard him say for us to do. So it's not just like, I believe, no, 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 it's, I believe, and so I'm going to walk this way because he said this is the way. That's, that's what he's talking about. That's how we grab hold of this moment, this breaking in time of the kingdom of, of God in us. So as we take stock of our life, and, and I'm hoping for your sake that you seize seasons like this of the new year, new decade, new time, to take stock of your life and say, where, where am I? Where are things? Where is my soul? You get to do so on a regular basis. But more fundamentally now is to ask, where are the kairos moments in my life? Where are these breaking in of the kingdom of God that are showing up in my life? Where have they been? I don't know if it's areas of play or areas of work or maybe it's relationships or health. But God is breaking in. The kingdom of God is coming near in your life. And are you seeing it? Now, Kairos moments can be good things or bad things. They can be little things. They can be big things. Most of the time, we drive right by them. Like a little speed bump, you know? You're just going along trying to get to the thing that you have to get to the thing for and to move forward to the thing that you think is really, really important. And God's trying to break in. He's trying to speak. And we just do-do-do-do-do-do. 
I think something, well. God's speaking. He's, he's breaking in on your life. He's breaking in in your moment, and, and we, just, we just drive right by it. We miss the opportunity to become the people he wants us to be because we're looking at what we have in mind instead of what he's saying. So, what would it look like in 2020 for us to start being attentive to these moments, to this inbreaking of the kingdom of God in us? Well, the first step, you look on the right side here, this is broken into two circles sides, right? There's the, there's the, there's the um, invitation side and the challenge side. On the invitation side, the first thing we do is we observe what's going on. I don't know about you. I, I don't know if you have a regular routine or, or method or means by which you observe your life. Maybe a daily, maybe a, maybe a weekly. Oh, I know this. Like, if I don't journal at least once a week, like, I have no clue what's going on in my interior world. Like, I just have no idea. I'm like, oh, do the next thing. And, you know, and some people are like, oh, but you seem like a really reflective person. It's like, yeah, <laughs> no. No, I just, I'm like you. Like, I just scoop by. Like, there's a next thing happening. Do you have a next thing happening after this? Like, I got a next thing happening after this. And it's not just the Eagles game. I'm saying, like, there's, there's other things happening. And so if I don't take pulse, if I don't take pulse, I don't know where my soul is. And so if I don't observe, then I will, boom, 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 I don't even recognize the sound anymore. Do you have regular rhythms of being able to observe your own soul? And in observation, then we move to prayer. We pray, we spend time praying, asking God, and especially listening to God. God, what are you saying? What are you saying? Search me, O Lord. Know my heart. See if there's any wicked way and and show it to me. Would you show it to me? One of the cool things we got to do this last fall in the prayer lab is to do uh, prayers of examine. I don't know if you're familiar with those, but it's, it's just a prayer where you just take stock of your day and you walk through your day with God. And it's a cool exercise. And one of the reasons it's so cool is that Believe it or not, God goes like, yeah, about this. What about, what about this moment? Okay, let's talk, about, let's talk about that interaction you just had with your coworker. And let's, let's, let's engage that and be reflective on it because like a moment just happened. I, I was breaking in. I'm wanting to break in right now. And so, so with prayer, we examine our souls with the Lord through the Spirit, and he speaks to us. And then we discern through, through Bible and through discussions with other people. I mean, one of the... Right? This is what we do, right? We fight, take ourselves, we put ourselves before the scriptures, and through the Spirit, we get examined. And we hear from the Lord, and he speaks to us. Now, he doesn't speak to us all the time. He doesn't speak to us wildly specifically every time, but he continues to speak to us. He starts putting his fingers on things that are, that are, that are, that are to be more, that you can be freer in a year from now, that you get to become the kind of disciple God wants you to be. That's what he does through the scriptures. And through people, you got good people, the kind of people you want to be shouldered up with. you got those people in your life. Well, then they start telling you the truth about you. They start asking you great questions about why do you think you hate your mother-in-law? You know, I mean, you know, the, the good questions, you know, or, or why is it that you're, you're, you're always so angry at the end of the day, you know? Like, those kinds of things that make you go like, huh, is God breaking in in this moment because he has a different man, a different woman to be come alive in this coming season? One of the, um, one of the uh, Brick had us at the elder meeting on Saturday just say, hey, is there a particular scripture or something significant that came out of this last year? And I was just skimming back through my journal real quick, you know, because it was a test. Um, and um, <laughs> and uh, I, I realized back in, in July, I hit the spot with, with uh, 
with uh, Joshua 1.9, which, I, you know, you know, be strong and courageous, you know, like everyone knows that verse. And, um, and I was finding myself, like, I heard it three times in one week from three different sources. And it was, one of them was my own reading. It just showed up in my reading, but I'd already heard it twice that week. And suddenly I was like, I think God's wanting me to pay attention to something. And this is like two weeks before I was doing that sermon on, you know, women in the church, which, you know, didn't have any tension in it or anything like that. You know, like one of those real easy ones, you know, where there's like, you don't have to be courageous or anything. You know. And it, it's like the Lord met me. He's like, hey, listen, I have something I want to teach you. And what he taught me in that is the words, I command you, be strong. I'd never seen that before. And I've read my Bible a few times. I've never seen that it's actually a command. You know that you're commanded to be strong? Not like, hey, if you feel like it, or like, I'll, I'll do things that will make you feel strong and courageous. No, no, no. I command you to be strong and courageous. So that, that carried me throughout the rest of the year. There's a bunch of stuff that's emerged and happened, and each time it was like, all right, I command you, be strong and courageous. That means he's going to provide for me. Do, do you see how it works? Like he broke in in that little moment, those little three interactions, and, and then he, he wove something throughout the rest of the year in a very particular way. That's, that's just, that's pretty subtle, Sometimes it's way more obvious than that, right? So we hear from the Lord through his word, through his people, through prayer, through, through observation, being honest with ourselves about life. And one of the great ways that I, I would, I think that we become people who are attentive to the voice of the Lord is when we're able to say in a simple sentence, this is what I'm hearing from God. I have some really good friends that I meet with on a regular basis, and one of the questions that emerges pretty regularly is, well, what, what are you sensing from God about that? It's a different kind of question than, like, how do you feel about that? Or what do you want to do about that? Those are all important questions, but what do you sense God is saying about that? Because his voice is, I don't know, important in the process, whatever it is, whatever decision is needing to be made. It's a really important question. And if you can take that and put it into a single sentence and say, I, I sense, I, I'm, I'm clearly sensing that God's inviting me to do this thing now, to say this to this person next week, to, to quit this now, to confess this next week, th then you have something clear to be able to move with. It's one of the reasons, by the way, and we, I put these back on your seat, it's one of the reasons why um, we drafted these, these uh, identifying your risk, because the, you understand these are just hear and obey, right? Hear and respond. This, this whole initiative we've been working on this year as we think about risk as a church and being people who are going to take faith-filled steps of courage, we just drafted a bunch of single sentences, just summary statements that are going to be able to trigger your heart and your mind as you're re re reviewing with the Lord, going like, do I need to tell the truth about something that I've been dishonest about? Have I been dishonest about anything? Do I, do I need to learn about something that I'm actually just not wanting to learn about because I don't really want to know the truth about that? It's just a single sentence to be able to invite us and to be able to evaluate our heart before the Lord. That's all, that's, all these, that's all these are. It's an invitation to be able to hear from the Lord, to have him be clear because he is speaking. And I just, I just want to say, like the Lord is speaking to you. He's doing so through the word. He, Lord willing, he's doing so right now. He's doing through, so through, through songs. He's doing through, through your friends, through people with the kind of people you want to imitate, like, sermons you're listening to online, uh, he's speaking to you. My, and my question is, are you, are, you are you hearing him? Or are you just going over and boom, 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 boom? Because he has things for you. As we hear, as we hear from the Lord, and I just went at the bottom of this little circle, I just want you to put a little cross at the bottom, okay? Because we have to run this process through the gospel, right? We have to run it through the cross 
but to drive this entire thing right through the cross, that God's telling us something. If we're finding ourselves hearing something from the Lord, we have to run it through the grid of, is this true about who God is in light of the scriptures? Is this true about who God is? And is it true about who I am? What he says is true about me. You're just saying it, right? You're a a good, good father. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. And so those are grounding statements. The scriptures are full of those, right? So is it true what I'm hearing from the Lord about him and about me? Are, are, you, are you being convicted, which is something very specific and inviting you towards life? Or are you being condemned? Because con- condemnation, scripture says, there is therefore now no condemnation. So if you're walking around with condemnation, that's not from the Lord. You see? You, you have to run it through the cross. Like you're not under condemnation in Jesus. Like, you're loved. If that's the basis, then you can move through. You can go like, wow, that's terrifying, Lord. Let's just use Moses for an example. Okay, let's talk about hear and, hear and respond, right? Moses is minding his own business on the other side of the mountain, and next thing you know, after years and years of just taking care of sheep, a burning bush shows up, right? And I love the, the Hebrew is something like, I shall go see what's going on over there, that this thing is not burning up. And he shows up, and like, God wrecks his world, Right? I mean, if you know the story, right? I mean, God s- declares all these things about himself. I am that I am. Moses, you want me to tell you who you are? I made your mouth. You can go and do all these crazy, you're going to free the people, your people. And he's like, no stinking way. This is, you talk about Kairos moment. You're about breaking in. Like, God breaks in on Moses with clarity, with who he is, who God is, that he's the God for them. Not Moses is going to do these great things. God is going to be there for them. God is going to do this through him. So we have to run it through the cross. But then, and let me just say, remember, <laughs> it's not about behavior modification. Right? It's about character formation. I, I'm frankly just not that interested in you, like, and I certainly believe this, God is not interested in you just honing up your flesh to be more honest. Like, just because you're afraid to get caught. Like, that's not change. That's not character formation. That's just behavior modification. That's not change. You're not a free person. The gospel brings you to character formation, not just performance change, not just behavior modification. So, so now we move on to the, the bottom of this the other side, the, the challenge side of, um, of, this, of this formation transformation circle. And the first thing is, and this is the, uh, the action part, right? This is the, the belief, the, uh, the repentant belief side. The first is, um, if there's a next step, something clear and specific. I think one of the, one of the ways in which um, maybe, maybe even certain... Um, Certain worship, take some shots of something right now, right? Um, certain worship songs that can be popularized are super, super generic, okay? And, and, and they don't invite us or push us towards the specificity of things. And sometimes we can think that our spiritual life or relationship with God is generalities, superficialities. Like God doesn't love us in general, like he loves us specifically and for specific reasons in very tangible ways. God isn't interested in you becoming just a more loving person, though yes, but he has specific ways in which he wants you to become a different, more loving, more alive person. That is the fact. And so the question is, is are we going to act and move and respond in light of the specificity that God is inviting us into? God changes us, transforms us specifically, not just in general. He's going to want to reconcile you to that person, not just to be a reconciled person. See the difference? 
That's, that's the fundamental reality of how God changes us, how we become fresh, free, and new people. So we take next, we identify a next step, and then we, um, we choose accountability. We move into accountability, and I don't know. There's, it's like it's gotten a bad rap. You know, accountability was, I don't know, it got beat up back in the 90s or something. Um, it's like we didn't know how to do it. You know, we, they're going to beat each other up or um, make each other feel bad or <laughs> let each other off the hook because we're dealing with the same stuff. So, like, ha, don't worry, dude. <laughs> right? And so it didn't feel like it had any effect. And accountability is not policing one another. That's not what accountability is. It's, it's partnering with one another. It's saying, how can we help me answer to what God is saying to me? How can, how can we Help me be the kind of person who's going to follow through on the things that God is saying for me to do. That's, that's what accountability is. It's coming alongside. It's not being up in somebody's face. Nobody wants somebody. You want somebody in your face? I don't want anybody in my face. I want somebody to come alongside me and go like, how can we help you be more responsive to the reality of what God said to you? Because it's going to take something. And then we act on it. Specific accountable, and then, and then we, we act, we actually do something about it. In, in, Mark's, in, um, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, um, like, whoever hears my words and does them, he's like the wise man, right? But whoever hears my words and he doesn't do them, Jesus calls him a fool. Like one of no account, one in whom there will be no change. And so if, if you hear and you don't do James says, like, it's like you don't you just you look at yourself in the mirror. You don't, you don't, there's no transformation. You w- we walk away, you forget the very thing that happened. Like we must actually act out the things that God's inviting us into, which is why it takes accountability, which is why it takes clarity, which is why it has to be gro- rooted and grounded in the love of the gospel. It has to be, or there is no hope. So where are your Kairos moments? Maybe some bi- big stuff. Maybe, maybe you're like looking back going like, yeah, I... I heard some. I heard some thuds. I just didn't want to deal with it in this last year. So maybe you got some 2019 Kairos moments that you need to go back into and, and ask God to invite you to clarity and then to movement. Or what are some present tense in front of you? How how is how is the kingdom of God breaking in around you and in you and in your life? What's He saying to you? As you've been praying, as you've been reading, as you've been having conversations with people, what? What are the things? I want to give you five minutes because I, I think this is important at the beginning of a year. I want to give you five minutes, and I just I want to ask you to pray and ask God to give you a hearing ear that you would have a sense of here's one Kairos moment that I believe He's inviting and calling me into. I, you want you probably want to use you might want to use uh, the the risk guide to help you trigger thoughts or let 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 God use that for you. So I'm going to give you five minutes, play some music, and then I'm going to come back and invite you into the close into the table. When we, um, when we hear God and we respond, there's a new trajectory. Like we're not in the same line. Something significant has happened. We're becoming the kind of people that are transformed. That's how transformation happens. I suspect if you look back in your life, that's how transformation has happened in your life over and over. 
So you've heard him. And, and my call, my invitation to us is, what would it look like this year if that's who we chose to be? To be the kind of people that are going to they're gonna take risks, they're going to hear from the Lord, they take faith-filled steps of courage, they're going to say, okay, Father, I'm hearing what you're saying, and a lot's at stake if I do this. Or a little's at stake if I do this, but I really don't want to. And yet, because you're inviting me into this, because of the accountability, and I'm saying it out loud and articulating it, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move with you, and I'm going to believe that you're going to make me into a different person. I think this could be a really exciting year for us. I think this could be a really exciting year for you. I imagine you sitting in this room potentially a year from now, and a similar question being asked about what's different about you and being like, yeah, he did a lot of stuff. He said a lot of things to me, and I listened, and you know what? I took him on his word, and I just jumped, and here we go. And, and I'm not the same man. I'm not the same woman. I'm freer. I'm more alive. I'm going to give you a couple means by which we can do this together that are at least a little bit more creative and ongoing. The first is um, we're going to be outside as you head out. You're going you're to see this new board. It has the game of risk on it. Except it's our version of the game of risk. It has all of the different risks on it. Um, we have a version of that in our conference room right now, but there's another one out there. And what I want to invite you into is to take a look back at 2019 and see all the ways in which you've chosen to take risks. And you're going to take some pins, and you're just going to pin them up inside all the ones that are, that are appropriately fit, whatever the risks you've taken. So you're just going to pin those up there as you head on out. But the second thing is um, as we head into 2020, um, we've got some merch for you. And uh, nothing changes your heart like a T-shirt. Um, so we, uh, we don't own the hashtag, we take risks, but um, there's only a couple hundred on there, so pretty much we own it at this point. Um, but this is the invitation. Uh, we're gonna, they're, out, they're out front. We, if, you're, if you can make a $5 donation to them, great. If you can't, don't worry about it. Just take a T-shirt. What we want you to do is we want you to wear them. We want you to use the hashtag. We want you to wear them. We want you to take the opportunity to be able to walk around with something on you that people are going to go, what? Right? At the grocery store or whatever. And then you get to articulate, yeah, I know crazy church I'm a part of, you know, it's like Corinthian church, you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> but we're taking risks because we, we're dressed in God. And one of the particular things that I'm trusting God in is blank. Have you ever trusted God before with stuff like that? You see, it's, we're, we're trying to take the next step when it comes to living this, is to live it out, not just in. We want it to live it in, and we got to continue encouraging and challenging one another, but we want to start taking this outside and saying, Hey, I, uh, I'm one of those crazy people that believes that when God speaks, good things happen, especially when I listen and I follow. So that's the invitation to you. And if you're, and if you're um, one of the one or two cynical people in the room, <laughs> if, if you happen to be one of those two people, um, if you, you know who you are, um, like, uh, jump in. No one's better than the opportunity to be able to together encourage one another. And I think it would be an awesome thing over the course of this next year as we, we see us challenging and encouraging one another. Well, let's go to the table. Uh, there has never been, there has never been a greater Kairos moment where God broke into the world than the moment where Christ came in the manger and Christ died on the cross, right? And he broke in and he came for you. And so this morning as we come and we think about the kinds of trust we want to put in this God who's going to ask us to do significant things, loved ones, he's going to ask you to do significant things. It's how we become free and, and changed people it rests here is that he's already done significant things for you, the most significant thing. And so we rest here. We know we're loved here. And so this morning, I invite you to come as I pray and just to receive the body and blood of Christ, that it would bolster you and strengthen you and give you courage as you step out and trust him with what he's saying to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You are 
not only good, but you love us, and you loved us to the end on the cross. And so this morning, as we come and uh, we want to be different people, we believe, we believe that you have in store for us, through your goodness, through your grace, through your power, and even through hardships, that you have different, stronger, freer, more alive men and women to be sitting here in a week, a month, a year. And so we want to we we taste that. We want to participate in that. And so would you do, by your grace, the only, what only you can do, and that is to awaken our hearts to the goodness of your, of your love for us in Christ Jesus. And would you do so in particular this morning as we take in the body and the blood of Christ, that it would refresh our souls and that we would trust you even more. We say these things because we do love you and we respond to you by faith. Thank you, Lord. Christ be glorified. Amen. Now, if you belong to Jesus, this is your meal. So please come and receive the body and blood of Christ.